our study of Acts has made it very, very clear that our primary endeavor in the life in life after salvation is to be a witness for our Savior Jesus Christ. I cannot say that enough. The reason you breathe right now is so that you are a witness for Jesus Christ in your life and everything that you do. And we've seen that uh, displayed all through the, the book of Acts. Every Christ follower here this morning has been given the, that mission by Jesus Christ Himself, as we saw in Acts 1.8. That means this body of believers, Sardis Baptist Church, has a God-given mission to reach our town, our communities, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what part does Sardis play? What is Sardis' mission as a body to reach Swansea, North, Gaston, and Pullian? How do we help as a church, each of you, okay, uh, impact those that God brings into your life to be a witness to? I hope that you will see, I hope that we will see in our passage this morning that we will find the answer to these questions. We will clearly see how God used Paul to reach an entire city, the entire city of Ephesus, and then the whole region, okay, uh, with his ministry. And we have to understand something, okay? Paul's ministry in Ephesus led to hundreds of miles worth of influence in just a short time. How do we do that? How does, what, what things have to happen for Sardis to do that? We need to take a look at the context first and foremost. Paul stays here in Ephesus uh, in this ministry for a, around two or so years, two, two and a half years. Uh, it was one of the longest periods of time Paul stayed anywhere. Uh, the, Ephesus was a very rich uh, city. It, w- it had a port at that time. Uh, that port is no longer there. Ephesus is about six to seven miles inland because of all the, uh, throughout the years, especially back uh, in, it had already started in uh, the first century, uh, they had logged and they had not uh, paid attention to erosion and then waters and hard rains came down and started to silt up the harbor over years that has been tried to be fixed, but it hasn't. So Ephesus now, which used to be on the coast, is actually about six to seven miles away from the coast because of all that silt that came down through there. But they, at the time of Paul, they were still a a significant city in Rome. It was not a city that uh, would have been considered as ready to receive the gospel. All right? It was a very pagan city. It was so lost that a great many in the city were involved in the occult, which we will see, magic and exorcisms and such. The city was a sanctuary for hardened criminals. It, it had a very, very high population of hardened criminals. The reason why is because the Temple of Diana uh, was in Ephesus. And anybody who was uh, accused of a crime, if they could make it to Ephesus and into the precinct, the area of the temple, they could not be arrested. All right? They could not be tried. And so there was a, a really significant criminal uh, sense to everything that Ephesus was and, the, and uh, as a city, all right? Uh, from that point of view, from that point of view, it would be pointless to many of us to start a ministry there. It would be a hopeless endeavor. It's too far gone. It would be a difficult and dangerous endeavor and one that was sure to fail because it was that bad. Paul writes about 
this gives us a little bit of uh, insight into this in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. It says, For a wide door for effective work has opened to me. He's talking, uh, he's writing to the Corinthian, uh, to the Corinthian church about his ministry in Ephesus, and there were many adversaries. Okay? A wide door. How did Paul view his ministry in Ephesus? <coughs> As hopeless? He looked at the city. And he was the only man there. There were some of his friends. We, uh, Priscilla and Aquila were there. He had some other people there. Uh, Titus and, uh, not Titus, Timothy was there. We find out later on in Acts. But basically, it was a very, very small group in a very, very large city that was pretty much, in many people's eyes, too far gone to be saved. But Paul said, I see a wide door. But he was also honest. And there, have, there are what? Many adversaries. And that word adversaries is, a, is a, a hard word. It is a word that means uh, they, they hated him. They wanted him dead. They wanted him out of there. All right? And so, uh, but this is the place where Paul finds himself as a church planner. Ephesus was as lost of a city as there ever was. But we will see that the gospel of Jesus Christ changed that city into one of the most influential cities for Christ for many, many years. Ephesus becomes a city a city known for its population of Christ followers. Paul, it was very close to Paul. It supported Paul. It loved Paul. This whole city was changed because of the ministry that we find uh, Paul endeavoring in, in Ephesus. History shows us that this is not odd. Uh, it, history shows us that the gospel has its biggest impact in the areas that are considered the darkest and therefore most resistant to God's uh, new, good news of Jesus Christ. It was in this difficult but very prosperous ministry in Ephesus that we can learn from Paul how our body of believers, how Sardis Baptist Church can be used by God to impact areas that go far beyond even Swansea. Here goes Paul into this city that nobody thought was worth anything. And he seizes in an open door. When we walk out this door, do we see Swansea as an open door to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we see that in, in North and in Pelion? Do we see that in places like Juarez? And do we see that in Greece and Malawi? Do we, these are doors open that we can have influences in uh, that are, just, are not only in Swansea, but far out, that are further out than Swansea. And I, I hope that we see that today, that we can... We can if we follow this, then God can use us, if He chooses, to impact and change vast areas for Jesus Christ, this small body. The first thing that we learn is that reaching a city for Christ begins with the declaration of God's Word, a declaration of God's Word. Uh, take a look at uh, chapter 19, Acts chapter 19, where I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. Acts 19, verses 8 through 10. And he, that's Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking uh, evil of the way, before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. First, this declaration of God's Word started, all right, uh, in the synagogue. We see that in uh, 
verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly. This was a, the longest period of time a synagogue listened to Paul. It seemed that at least at the beginning, they were more open to what Paul had to say. But as that three months, as he uh, taught more and more, there became more and more resistance to the gospel. And we understand something here, that Paul was not just preaching. And th- this, is, this is what I love. I, I love this idea of preaching. This is, po- this is part of who we are as a church. This is part of uh, God's plan for the church, is for Adam and I and others to stand here and preach to you. But you know what I enjoy even more? I enjoy being around small groups. I enjoy being here on Wednesday night. I enjoy being in Sunday school because we get to talk. We get to reason out things. Okay, It's not just me talking to you. This is important, and this needs to be a a major part of our church. Okay, But I really do also like what Paul was doing. We see that Paul here uh, in verse 8 spoke boldly, reasoning, and persuading them. He wasn't just preaching to them. He was sitting down with them. He was spending time with them, reasoning out why uh, Jesus Christ was the Messiah, why the Old Testament showed that Jesus Christ had to die. He was reasoning and what? Persuading. Reasoning and persuading. And what was he reasoning and persuading about? He says, spoke boldly, reasoning, persuading them about the kingdom of God. It would seem that he would reason and persuade them about Jesus Christ. But why did they use the idea of kingdom of God here? Why does he use the idea of kingdom of God? Because he is following in Jesus' footsteps. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, goes through his wilderness uh, temptation experience. And then he gets out of the wilderness, uh, uh, the angels minister to him, and then we find this in Matthew 4, 17. And from that time, after the wilderness, okay, this is when Jesus starts his public ministry. Jesus begins to preach about Jesus Christ. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that. It says, uh, he, Jesus begins to preach saying, repent for what? The kingdom of heaven. And Paul is pre- reasoning and persuading those in the synagogue that the kingdom of heaven, okay, had come, had, had, had begun with Jesus Christ. You see, the kingdom of heaven is not just the nature of the kingdom, that we're citizens of it, that we need to be holy and set apart, that that is the place uh, where God is, that's where uh, we're all going to end up. That's the nature of the kingdom of God. But it's also how do you enter the kingdom of God? Preaching and teaching and persuading and stuff about the kingdom of God also means how do I become a citizen of the kingdom of God? How do I make sure that I'm part of that? And that's where you get into the idea of what? Through Jesus Christ alone, through faith, by grace. Amen? So uh, Paul is, is reasoning with them about the kingdom of God and all the parts and pieces of what the kingdom of God represents. He said he's speaking in verse 8, persuading them about the kingdom of God. But then we have that really big word uh, in verse 8, uh, excuse me, verse 9, but... When some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way. The idea of way, the way is Christianity. Whenever you see the, the way put in this way where it is a, a, pro, a, a noun or a, a descriptive pronoun, okay, they're talking about Christians. Okay, the way of Jesus Christ is what they're talking about. So speaking evil of Christians or the way that he was teaching about before the congregation. He withdrew from them and took disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. A tyrannus, excuse me. And so what we see here is that there is a time when we stop presenting the gospel to somebody. 
There is a time. Paul, for three months, worked and persuaded and, and reasoned with them. And, and there were people who, were, who, who uh, did not believe. And that's okay. Uh, I will continue. Uh, you could continue speaking with somebody okay, who does not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ for years. There's not a problem with that. Until they get to a point where we see here where they begin to speak evil of the way. They begin to uh, uh, try to uh, dissuade others from following the way. There begins to be a point in time where they become so hard-hearted, and they become so hard-headed, they, they refuse to believe that they're actually being aggressive towards the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're going to drag the gospel of Jesus Christ into the mud. They're going to, every time they turn around, they're able to uh, have disparaging remarks about it. That is okay then at that point in time. Have we given them the gospel? Do they know the gospel of Jesus Christ? At that point in time, they're in God's hands, and this is what Paul did. Paul, basically in, the, in a similar way of shaking the dust off his feet, said, I'm done with you. There's other places I need to go that haven't heard what you've heard for three months. And Paul leaves, and we see that, okay, uh, in verse 9. Uh, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the halls of Tyrannus. And so he moves to a school. He moves to a school. Uh, there's times... Uh, Excuse me, he moves to a school by Tyrannus, and it's interesting to see that history and, and what, they, uh, what life was like in the first century gives us uh, some idea of what was going on uh, with Paul being in this school of Tyrannus, and it also gives us some insight to the miracles later on. The normal work life in the first century okay, started early in the morning, usually before sunup or right at sunup, all right? and they went, uh, they went to work, and they would work hard. Okay, remember, most of it was an agrarian society at that time, but there were still merchants and stuff. They would work until about 11 a.m. How many of us go, yeah, hey, cool. Uh, 11 a.m., hey, that's good, all right? And then, but here's the other part. They would start working again around 4 and work until the sunset. See, we don't like that. We like the 11 a.m. part. Okay, but they had about a five-hour break, a four- or five-hour break in there. Why did they break in that area of the, of the world at that time? It was really hot. Okay, it was really hot. And that was pretty much normal life in that area at that point in time, give or take how many hours they stopped, but that was normal life. Normal work stopped because of the heat, and it would resume then around 4 p.m. when the uh, heat wasn't as bad. We also know... Okay, that Paul was working while in Ephesus to provide his own support. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20, or look at Acts chapter 20, excuse me, verse 33 and 34. We haven't gotten there yet. We will be there next week, but I just want to uh, look. Verses 33, Paul is talking, um, is, is speaking to the Ephesian elders. He's getting ready to leave, so he's talking to, to the Ephesians that he is teaching. Uh, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. For you, you yourselves know that these hands of mine, uh, these hands, his hands, ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. What do we know that Paul was doing throughout the day? He was supporting himself and those who were with him. Paul had a job when he was teaching and, and in Ephesus, teaching and preaching. And so when we think about this, it would be, it would be Paul couldn't meet in the school in the morning for, uh, until 11 o'clock because who else was also meeting in that school? The students of Tyrannus. What was happening in that school at the time period at starting at 4 o'clock? 
Tyrannus would be working and teaching his students. And Paul would also be working. So when did Paul teach in the school of Tyrannus? During the time when everybody was off between 11 and 4. And we know that uh, that is a, a pretty good logical conclusion because there are a couple of Greek manuscripts, manuscripts okay, that shed light on that. And they actually say that Paul taught in the school from 11 a.m. to 4, uh, 11 to 4, to 4 p.m. every day. So think of Paul's schedule now. He would go to work early in the morning, work till 11, teach for four to five hours, go back to work, and then come home and go to bed. What was, his, was that a pretty grueling schedule? Think about that. And so what we see here, okay, this is what fits into what we know about first century life. We understand that Paul uh, was probably teaching uh, in, those, in that time frame. And now we need to move on and look at verse 10. Look at verse 10 of chapter 19. This continued for two years. So this rigorous schedule continued for two years. Okay? So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greek. What was the result of Paul's two-year ministry in this school and in the synagogue? All who dwelt in Asia heard the word, not just Ephesus. I'm going to show you something here. Uh, if you can see it up on the screen, you see where Ephesus is. All right? And uh, according to history and according to... Uh, uh, biblical, uh, as far as even the Bible telling us when they're established. During Paul's stay in Ephesus, okay, the, the churches of Laodicea, uh, Hierapolis, and Colossae were probably established while Paul was teaching in Ephesus during that two-year period. All right, and what areas, what area is that? It's part of that statement of all of Asia. All right. So we see that Paul's ministry had far-reaching uh, as far as area is concerned. All right. And so think about uh, what Luke is saying here. Paul was working to support himself and teaching all day. Okay? So he's supporting himself from when? Morning to 11 and from 4 to sunset. And he was teaching in the hall of Tyrannus during the rest of the day. How did all these people get reached? with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where did Paul spend most of his time? In Ephesus. Paul wasn't traveling to Colossae. Paul wasn't traveling at this time to Hierapolis or to Laodicea. Paul wasn't going throughout all of Asia at this time, teaching and preaching. So how did, this, how did the gospel expand so quickly? The people, the individuals that Paul was teaching each and every day, as they would come in, as they would go out, Paul, Paul, Paul's ministry was teaching, and those individuals went out and did what? Throughout all of Asia, helped start churches, presented the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is God's plan. Pastors and teachers teach and preach, and those who listen to them go into the world to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. Adam and I are supposed to preach and teach. That is our primary responsibility here. We as men, we as Christ-following men in our families have a responsibility just like you to reach the, uh, the world around us. We need to be witnesses. We need to be doing the same things that you should be doing outside these doors as a family. But inside the church, what our jobs are here is mainly to preach and teach. Why? So that we can prepare you to do what? Go out and reach the rest of the world 
with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Adam and I cannot do it by ourselves. There's no possible way that Paul could have reached all of Asia by himself. This is biblical evangelism. Evangelism is primarily individuals from within the church being told, uh, being bold witnesses in their community. If we want to have an impact on Swansea, if we want to see God's power change Swansea like God's power changed Ephesus, it is up to every single one of you to do nothing, uh, not to do nothing, but to uh, make sure that you are boldly presenting the gospel, bringing the gospel to everybody that you could possibly in, uh, can in everyday life. That's our responsibility. That's biblical evangelism. There's no problem with a church as a body organizing events like we do to help evangelize the community on campus, but those things like our fall festival and our Easter egg hunt, all those things should, are, 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 are okay but they should not be the primary means that you and I reach Swansea with. How many people here know of a neighbor or know of a group of neighbors, neighbors or live in a cul-de-sac or a, uh, who live in places that you have been there for years and you've never touched anybody in that area with the gospel of Jesus Christ? That was foreign to the first century Christians. How many people do you have you worked next to for years? How many times have, have you worked with friends that you have not presented the gospel to for years and years and years? When that is your primary responsibility in that situation. If we want to see God do a work in our communities, we must do all the work. We must do the work of bold witnessing in our communities just like the Ephesian church did. If we want to see Swansea change, then we need to be bold witnesses. Not just Adam and I, not just the deacons, but every person who is sitting in a seat in front of me. I want you to also reflect on something else here. What made these people, or what helped these people be ready to, to bring that bold witness. Consider the hunger that the Ephesian Christians had for God's Word. Consider the hunger that the Ephesian Christians had for God's Word. Because what did they do with Paul every day? They would work to 11, they would go be taught for him for a number of hours, and then they would go back to work, and then they would go home. How hungry were they? What were they supposed to be doing between 11 and 4? Resting, taking it easy, recovering and waiting for the heat. But they were with Paul. They were with Paul. They labored for hours a day, but still took every opportunity they could to be in God's Word. Tyrannus' school didn't have air conditioning. There were no Zoom meetings under shade trees. There were no PowerPoint presentations to keep one's attention. It was just Paul in his school reasoning and persuading with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those people that were learning and growing and being saved, they were going out into the surrounding areas throughout all of Asia, preaching and teaching and being witnesses of the grace of God. That's evangelism. That's biblical evangelism. Our lives are quite different today, but, not, but they are also so much the same. Here's some really hard questions I'm going to ask each of you. Hard questions I'm going to ask you. Do we, do you desire to be in God's Word like the Ephesian church did? 
Do you desire to be in God's Word where they changed their lives dramatically for a period of about two years so that they could listen to everything Paul said during a time when they were supposed to rest? Do you desire God's Word like that? Is it your heart's desire? Is it my heart's desire to take advantage of being with God's people and in God's Word every chance we get? Is it our heart's desire to be in God's Word and to be with God's people every chance we get? Do we schedule our lives around those opportunities like the Ephesian church did? Do we make it a priority that we will set other things aside so that I can be under God's Word and I can be part of God's body and I can be part of the witnessing that I'm supposed to do in the community? Do we schedule our lives around that? If we are interested in reaching our community, then we need to realize that, God, that knowing God's Word, reasoning through God's Word regularly, and having a desire for God's Word is critical for our reaching those that we live around. Satan will go to great lengths to keep you from being in God's Word and around God's people. He will use work, he will use hobbies and sports, he will use friends he will use, and family to keep you from knowing God's Word and therefore not being able to effectively declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will use whatever means he can to keep you from being here. Keep you from being in guys' time. Keep you from being in Bible studies. Keep you from being in Sunday school. Keep you and having excuses not to show up. There are times when we can't. I'm not saying that. But the issue is when you're not here, when you're not around God's people, when you're not having a chance to be in God's Word and under the teaching of God's Word, does it bother you? Does it grip your heart like, I really want to be there? Or do you get the sense of, I'm okay. I can kind of relax today. If we are interested, like I said, in reaching our community, we need to be able to be in God's Word regularly. If we want to see God save those who live their lives right next to ours, then we must be prepared, bold witnesses of the Word that can't be done, <clears throat> and that can't be done without knowing God's Word as well. The Word must be boldly declared in our church so that each of us can go out and boldly declare it where God has us in our context, at work, in our communities, in our schools. And I want to make sure that uh, everybody, the young folks that we have here are listening to me too. This does not just apply to adults. If you go to school, for all the children are here, who can understand what I'm saying, your primary objective there is to do school in a way that you become a bold witness for Jesus Christ. And if you go to a school for four years or three years and there is no further witness of Jesus Christ in that school when you left, then your education, that part of your education, was worthless. You don't grow up to get to be 18 and then all of a sudden this applies. A city is reached with the gospel. Ephesus was reached with the gospel because there was a clear declaration of God's word throughout the city. First, within the, city, the church, so believers within the church can, could declare God's word in the very streets that they lived each and every day. What we see now in verses 11 through 20, okay, are the results of God's word being declared. God's word was the impetus. God's word was what uh, God used in God's power, okay, to change Ephesus from a city that was so dark that it was not worth, or many people in our day would think that it's too hard to reach, to a, to a city that was influential throughout Christianity for years and years and years. What are the results of this declaration of God's Word? We've already seen some of it. Uh, 
First we see, okay, people believed and are saved. Look at verse 9. Again, just go back to verse 9. Both some of them became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil the way before the congregation. He, Paul, withdrew from them and took what? What did he take? Disciples, those who actually believed, those who had actually accepted his word, they went with him and left the synagogue. We have to understand what a big decision that is. For the Jews to leave the synagogue, what did that mean to them? That wasn't just like leaving Sardis to go to first or to faith. You know, this was a, this was a big deal. They were walking away from what they had been taught all their life to follow Paul, to follow Paul's teaching. And so, uh, people are believed in, in, <clears throat> and are saved. The disciples went with him, and uh, they went with Paul. Another result <clears throat> was God's power is displayed. God's power is displayed. Let's read verses 8 through 10. And entered the synagogue for three months and spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stutter and continued in unbelief, speaking of the evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, <clears throat> so that all the residents of Asia heard. And verse 11, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. What do we have here? We see God's power on display. God doing extraordinary miracles, as we see in verse 11. What made the miracles that God was doing through Paul unusual? We're not completely clear. We have a good idea, but we're not completely clear. It seems that these, because all miracles are unusual, all miracles go against God's what? Universal laws that He created the universe with. Why were these extraordinary enough to be called extraordinary? Why were these uh, different to the point where there was an adjective placed before the noun? Paul, they, people were being saved, okay, through Paul's dirty clothes. That's what's happening. Okay, uh, They were un unusual because without Paul being present, people were being healed and demons were being exercised when they were touched by Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons. And you go, what do apr aprons and handkerchiefs have to do with anything? Well, it's pretty cool because we've already talked about what was Paul doing every day? He was working, right? What was his trade? Tent maker, which also meant he was probably a leather worker. What do tent makers and leather workers often have when they're working? Aprons. And what else? And, and would he have sweated and, and wiped his hands and, and dirt and stuff like What would he have used to do that? Handkerchiefs. And so, however they got them, we don't know anything else other than this, but these uh, items of Paul that he used uh, because he was a worker, okay, and he could not go out, he could not uh, go out throughout Asia, Asia, these items. Don't know why they started going out. We don't know how it started that way. We have no idea. They were just being used to do what? Heal people and exercise demons. That was unusual. That was something that didn't happen every day as far as miracles were concerned. These miracles validated Paul's message, that Paul's message was the one and true message that stirred out from all the other false teachers in Ephesus. 
We see, uh, see, we have to understand that Paul was not the only one who had a message in Ephesus. The occult was established there. Paganism was established there. There were other religions. There was the temple of Artemis. There was the temple of Diana. Those were all religions. And they all said that they had the one true message of, of salvation, of how people should live. They all had their own gods. So how was Paul's message a small Jew, unassuming Jew, teaching in a school in the middle of the day when most people were sleeping or resting, how would he, his message be validated as being different than all the others? It was through these extraordinary miracles. And what I find very, very neat here is God was gracious in how he did the miracles for the sake of the Ephesian, the city of Ephesus, the Ephesians in the city. You see, the Ephesians lived in a culture, like I said, that was saturated in the occult. And there were many who used magic and exorcisms to validate their false religious messages and to make themselves a lot of money. So God chose to display His power through Paul in a way that would catch the attention of the Ephesians. The Ephesians were used to magic. The Ephesians were used to things happening that they could not understand. All right, It was normal fare for the day. It was part of their culture. The power that God displayed through Paul's clothes, being able to heal without Paul being there, was something the Ephesians couldn't ignore. It was so far out that they would have stopped and paid attention, even in a culture that was used to crazy things happening with magic and the occult. The miracles of God worked through Paul were apostolic signs designed to validate Paul's message, to make people stop in Ephesus and pay attention. These miracles were part of the transitional nature of Acts and passed off the scene once the apostles died. They are no longer needed today because we already have the validated Word of God right here, right? Back in that day, there was no Bible. There was no validated uh, Word of God outside of the Old Testament. The New Testament did not exist except in letters of Paul, and then they had not been brought together yet in what, into what we know as our Bible. So Paul's signs and wonders that God worked, those that God worked through him, the healings, proved that Paul was speaking for the one true God. They were different, the miracles, than anybody had ever seen before. I, want you, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I believe with all my heart that God still works miracles today. Amen? He works miracles today. I have no problem saying that. But I believe He doesn't work His miracles through human agency. He doesn't work His miracles through other people. Can God heal anytime He wants through prayer? Absolutely. Can God uh, save people in car accidents and stuff like that? Absolutely. Can those miracles all happen? Absolutely. But it's not because he is doing it through a person with a laying on of hands or who has special powers. That was a transitional time when the messenger needed to have validation that his message was God's message. With this in mind, we must not miss that God demonst uh, demonstrated even a greater power than the, than the signs and wonders. There was even greater power. Making people heal or, uh, or, or having demons uh, uh, exercise because of Paul's clothes touching them. Those, those are, that's power. But it's not the same kind of power as saving somebody from sin. It's not the same kind of power of turning a dead person into an alive person spiritually. There was even a greater power. Can we still see that power today? 
Can we see men and women and children's lives being drastically changed because they have become spiritually alive through faith in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. We can see the greater power happening today. Even though the signs and wonders have passed off to the side because they were uh, validation of the apostles' message, we still see the greater power today. We see that happening. And if we are going to uh, declare the Word of God, we're going to see the power of God as He saves people. Amen? I can't tell you, I, I just can't tell you what it's like to, to hear somebody come to an understanding of Jesus Christ and then watch their lives completely change. There was a pastor named C.T. Studd. His dad, his father, was Edward Studd. Very, very prominent and rich man. He was lost. Uh, D.L. Moody came to preach in his town. He didn't want to go, but they persuaded him to go. And so he went. Uh, God touched his heart, and through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, Edward Studd was saved. Later on, a person was staying uh, at the house of C.T. Studd and was coming into the door and talked to the coachman. Back in that day, they had people who opened doors, the coachman and stuff like that. Okay, And the coachman was asked okay, about Edward's sudden move into religious life. You know what the coachman said? He goes, I'm not sure what happened. He says, but I do one thing. The flesh that walked in and out of this door that I've seen over so many years is not the same person before he met Jesus Christ. The flesh that I see coming in this door is a completely changed man. Is that the power of God? Is that the miracle? Amen. When Ephesians paid attention to the unusual miracles God worked through Paul, God further demonstrated His great power by changing those who believed the message of Paul for all of eternity by giving them the Holy Spirit and making them spiritually alive. This is what we understand. Paul is also writing in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? New creation. Not a slightly changed new creation, not of Croatia, who is, is balancing back and forth between fleshliness and, 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 and God, is completely new creation. That's what's being explained here. That's the power that we see happening in God. The pagan city of Ephesus was being changed by the declaration of God's Word through the power of God's Word. We find another result of God's, uh, of God's Word being declared in verses 9 and 11 through 16. In verse 9, we see opposition. We've already looked at that fairly quickly. We see opposition in verse uh, chapter 19, verse 9. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil the way before the congregation, these people were in direct opposition. They were uh, severely in opposition. They wanted Paul to leave. They didn't want to have anything to do with Paul. And we see that the declaration of God's word will always bring opposition. And when you walk out this door, when you are bold witnesses, you are going to encounter opposition. Remember what Paul said? There are many adversaries, he said. 
It's not going to be any different from you. We don't live in a different time in that manner. If we go out and are bold witnesses for Jesus Christ, we are going to find opposition. And it's, going to get, it's getting worse, and it's going to continue to get worse. We could lose jobs. We could lose <clears throat> position. There's a lot of things that are on the line if we're going to be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. But we need to be bold witnesses because those folks out there are lost. There's going to be opposition is what we learn here. This is one of the results of declaring the word of God is opposition. And then take a look at verses 13 through 16. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus or those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of, Jewish, of a Jewish high priest named Sceva was doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man who in, in whom the, was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. What we have here is not only do we have opposition, we're going to have people trying to imitate the power of God, imitate the message. Think about this, okay? People were seeing lives change. These itinerant uh, Jewish exorcists were seeing uh, demons exercised and people being healed when Paul wasn't even present just by touching his clothes. And what do they want? What are they thinking? I want what? Some of that. I want to do some of that. And they were exorcists. Being an exorcist in the town of Ephesus at this time was an okay thing. They were uh, uh, popular uh, and they, had, they made lucrative livings. And here what they saw, this, this Jesus commanded spirits, commanded demons through Paul's clothes to leave. And they said, Paul teaches Jesus, and so we're going to invoke the name of Jesus because he is more powerful than any demon possession that we can encounter. Jesus is more powerful. And they're going to imitate and try to imitate what Paul was doing with just his clothes and exercise demons. And when they tried to exercise it, the results weren't the same. People's lives were changed. Peoples were saved, uh, from, uh, were made spiritually alive through Paul's miracles. Here we find what? The demons didn't pay attention to him, said, I know Jesus. I know who Paul is. I don't know who you are. And he chases them out, seven of them, and wounds them and rips their clothes off. And what we, this, this imitation, do we have this imitation today? Absolutely. We have people who claim the name of Jesus in everything. We used to work at a place uh, before we uh, came here, and uh, it was a ranch that Kathy and I were part of. Uh, we were the, uh, Kathy was the dorm, uh, not dorm, was the house mom to eight other girls, okay, of ages. Uh, they all, were all troubled. Uh, I was the principal at the school. Uh, we had a huge storm come through the ranch, through Texarkana, because that's where we lived. It was huge. It was one of those storms that everybody, you know, all the little beepers were going off in the house, and they were straight-line winds, and some of them were tornadoes and all that kind of stuff. And one of the owners of the ranch, one of the spiritual leaders of the ranch, stood out on the balcony of their house in the middle of the storm and said, I, by the power of Jesus' name, claim this ranch to be free from this storm. That's what was happening here. Did she have any power? Did Jesus' name have any power to 
moved that storm from hitting the ranch. She said it did because nobody was hurt. I spent the next two weeks tearing down trees, chopping up trees, filling holes, because what got hit by the storm? The ranch. The storm didn't miss the ranch. But she thought she could use Jesus' name and the power that she claimed that Jesus' name had to completely redirect a storm. That's what was happening here. It was opposition and imitation. These exorcists tried to imitate what they were seeing through Paul's ministry. Now, we see another result in chapters and verses 17 through 19. God's people grow. Look at 17 through 19. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of Jesus was what? Glorified. Because we have to understand something. Even in imitation, whose name is going to be glorified? Jesus when when. Okay. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magical arts, uh, magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. What we see here is God's people still grow. Remember, these people were coming to uh, faith in Jesus Christ in the school of Tyrannus, right? And they were going around and people were... were uh, coming to Christ, okay, throughout all of Asia. But are they going to have the rest of their, all of their uh, paganism and the rest of their pagan issues, is that going to disappear overnight? Many of them had not laid aside their magical books, their magical arts, had not gotten it out of their homes. They were believers, okay, but they were still holding on to some of the past life. They were still holding on to some of the past life. And when they saw the power of God, when they saw the power of God and heard about being, uh, chasing these men out of the house, they were fearful of Jesus' name, and they said, we need to have our lives changed, and they grew. What did these people do? They took the magical books that were still, the magic books that were still in their houses, they took the paganism that they still had left in their houses, and they put it out, and they burned it. We're going to be completely devoid of this. We don't want anything to do with this anymore because it's against Jesus Christ. And we have to understand something here. <laughs> 50,000 pieces of silver, that's a drachma. Each of those 50,000 pieces was worth a day's wages in that day. So do the math. If you take 50,000 and divide it by 365, it comes out to be 139 years of wages were burned in the city of Ephesus when these Christians grew. They said, we're going to cleanse our hearts and our minds, our houses and our lives of anything that didn't have to do with Jesus Christ and who he is. I have a question for each of us. How many of us hold on to things from our past lives? How many of us watch things on TV on a regular basis that are bringing the false religions of this world, the false things in this world, into our homes, and we watch them every night. 
How many of things do we watch on our phones and listen to on our phones? What kind of music do we have that's coming into our ears? This here is the same type of thing that these people here got rid of. They said, we cannot be part of this anymore. We have to get rid of it. How many things do we allow our children to bring into our homes that are not part of who Jesus Christ is and the growth of a Christ follower? And we allow it to happen. We need to, 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 to ask these hard questions because how much of us is still attached to what we were before? Because it's habit or because we like it or because we don't want to get rid of it. We need to grow. If we want to have an impact on Swansea and the surrounding areas out there, we cannot play the fence. We cannot have things in our lives that continually draw our attention away and draw our minds away and draw our hearts away into what we used to be. Those things need to be laid aside. Those things need to be uh, picked up when we notice them and laid aside and burned. Not literally, but in the sense that the Ephesians did. They need to be, be removed from our lives. We need to protect our kids and our young adults. We need to make sure that what they're listening to and what they're seeing and what's on TikTok and what's on the social media platforms and all of this stuff, is it God-honoring? And if it's not, it disappears. It disappears. No discussion. No compromise. We need to make sure that we are walking and growing in Christ like the Ephesian church did or our witness is going to be what? hindered. We will not make the impact and change the city or the town of Swansea and surrounding areas if those things are still in our lives. And then we see the last result. The declaration of God's Word is expanded. It started with the declaration of God's Word, and it ends with the declaration of God's Word. Look at verse 20. So the Word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The church declared the Word of God, boldly, and started with Paul, teaching in his school. And those people went out of his school and went into the byways of, of their lives, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church grew, and churches were planted, and they covered the whole area of Asia because of one man and a small team going into Ephesus, a dark city, and they watched God's power changed because they declared God's word. It follows, it is centered on the declaration of God's word. If we do not declare God's word well, if we do not declare God's word boldly, then we will not see any of these results or not see the results that Ephesus had in our church and in our lives. Let me ask you something. I haven't been here in Swansea as long as some of y'all. But I've come to know, and Swansea is not extra bad or anything, but Swansea is a dark place, folks. There's poverty, there's drug use, there's child abandonment, there is child abuse. Swansea is a dark place. It needs your declaration of God. It needs your declaration of the gospel. And it needs you to help it see the light of Jesus Christ. Are you doing your job? 
Are you doing what God has commanded you to do? Are you doing the mission He commanded you to declare the Gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ? And when that becomes a, a part of who we are as a church, then we will see this church begin to change the areas that we influence. We will get to see people come to Christ. We will get to see people's lives drastically changed, but not until we first learn the Word, first desire the Word, and then go out and do what? Become a witness. It all begins with the declaration of the Word of God. So as we begin to close, how do we reach Gaston, North, Pulian, Swansea, and surrounding areas? with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We declare the word of God day in and day out. We look for ways to declare the glory of God day in and day out. We look for opportunities. We plan for opportunities to give witness to the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ day in and day out. This needs to become your goal and my goal no matter what our life situation is. As you bow your heads, let me ask you this question. How are you doing? How are you declaring the gospel? How are you growing in the Word of God day in and day out. I pray and I hope that all of us here this morning will begin to have our hearts changed by the Word of God when we understand that when we walk out this door and get ready to enter next week, that we must stay on track with the mission in every situation that God gives us. There are a lot of people who need to know the whole gospel, who need to see Jesus Christ in all of His glory, not some watered-down uh, gospel that uh, God is love and, and um, He won't send anybody to hell and, and all the weaknesses that we see in a lot of the gospel today. They need to hear that Jesus Christ came to die for those who were sinners. And every sinner who places their faith and believes in Jesus, in Jesus Christ and believes in His work on the cross, they will be saved. And it is up to us to tell our communities, our towns, our cities, our children, our friends, our family, our schools, our ballparks. It is up to us to declare that wherever we go. Father God, I ask right now that as people consider how they're doing and declaring the gospel, the, the, the beloved gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord God, that you will change their hearts or begin to change their hearts and help them understand that is what you have given them to do first and foremost. I pray, Lord God, that you would begin to grow a desire in their hearts 
for the Word of God, that they would begin to understand that, the like Paul did, that even though there's a, a great door of opportunity throughout all of Swansea, that there's also going to be persecution and troubles and adversaries. Father, strengthen us. Give us a sense of standing on a solid rock. Help us to hold our heads up high as we declare what Jesus Christ has done, not only in our lives, but for anybody who would believe in Him and accept Him by faith. Father God, it is so important that we understand this is why we exist. Father, help us to start changing our perspective as a church. Help us, please, Lord God, to be wise in how we train people here. Help us to be accurate in our preaching and teaching. I pray for every teacher here who, is, who has the responsibility to declare your word to students that they would take that uh, responsibility so seriously, Lord God, that they would constantly pray for their students, that they would prepare lessons uh, in a way that uh, shows that they really want to proclaim your word boldly. Lord God, if there's anybody here today who says maybe I, I really don't have those desires, I don't really... Uh, want to declare the Word of God. I, I uh, just want to come to church. That's what I've always done. I pray, Lord God, that if anybody is here like that, that uh, maybe, Lord God, that they would see today that they need to understand more of who you are in their own lives. I pray, Lord God, that as we walk out of here, it would be with a step of purpose, a sense of purpose that we need to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what it costs. Lord God, Swansea needs your light. The surrounding areas need your light. Where we work needs your light. Help us to be the bearers of that light. In Christ's name, amen.